So it's Advent. And Advent is a bit of a strange season. And I think it's a particularly strange season for those of us in the contemporary world at this particular moment. Because you see, we know how the seasons work. All the great food and chocolate festivals we're deeply aware of. There's Thanksgiving, which moves to Halloween, after Halloween, Christmas, after Christmas, Valentine's Day, and after Valentine's Day, chocolate egg season. And, and we, sort of, we sort of know how it works and we know what to expect. And then we come to church expecting the transition from Halloween to Christmas season and the church is talking about Advent. And, and what does Advent mean? All we know about Advent in the contemporary world is that whenever you add the word Advent to another word, it generally involves chocolate. So you take the word calendar and add the word Advent in front of it, you have a chocolate calendar. Zero amens for that, but... That's kind of all we know about Advent. And so perhaps we come to church on the first Sunday of December and we anticipate a lot of Christmas season, like, kind of like what we see at the mall. Oh, it's, it's, it's all Christmas time. And we arrive and then somebody reads a gospel text like the one we just heard and we're like, ooh, <laughs> there was no mangers in that gospel text. There was like no stables, and instead of angels and stars in the sky, we had the sky turning to dark, and we were like, ooh, this is not the sort of shtick that I was feeling I was gonna get. And then sometimes, if you were with us on Wednesday night, we sing songs like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, songs of yearning and longing. It's not that you've come to church and discovered that the church is full of Scrooges who don't wish to celebrate Christmas. Christians should and must celebrate Christmas but when it's time. At the right time, we celebrate Christmas, but first we observe Advent, because amongst many other reasons, it's just good for us. See, Advent is the beginning of the Christian year, as we've already said, this four-Sunday period that's marked by waiting. And the waiting that we're talking about, in, in one sense, it's a, it's a waiting of memory. We reenact the waiting for the birth of Jesus. But kind of like Christians between Good Friday and, and Resurrection Sunday, we're, we're waiting this out knowing how the story lands. But when we come to Advent, we're not just waiting as if remembering what life was like before Jesus. The church is also waiting for Jesus' return. Because the Christian story has always talked about how Jesus comes once and then he is coming again. And Advent is that time when we remember that. So we're waiting in memory of Jesus' birth and in hope for his coming back, which may begin to make a little bit of sense of the gospel text that we just heard. But waiting's difficult for us because our world largely convinces us that we shouldn't be waiting, rather we should be wanting. And instead of waiting for things, we should be active participants in making the world the way that we want it. And one of the ways you see this worked out, and you'll have picked up on this if you pay any attention to the media at all, you'll notice that we get into this season when we, the church, are trying to celebrate Advent and waiting. The media is trying to sell you on wanting. The basic message of Christmas is buy, buy, buy. <laughs> because if you can just have that one more thing, then perhaps everything will be okay. The stark contrast for this is really evident to us. You see it perhaps most notably in our neighbors to the south, where on a particular Thursday in November, they pause and observe Thanksgiving, where they pray prayers of thankfulness for all that God has given us. 
And then after the pause of Thanksgiving, the next day they observe Black Friday, wherein they trample one another to buy just one more thing from the store that we can get our hands on. And before we laugh at the way that they do it, we're probably all the same, aren't we? We observe our moments of thankfulness, but then get caught up in the flurry and rush of buying, buying, buying just one more thing. The message that you are constantly being told at the minute by the world is the store holds the peace, the shalom, the wholeness that you are looking for if you can just get that one more thing. For many of us, however, and I wonder if this might be true of many of us in a room like this, we also recognize that we kind of need Christmas to come and come quickly because we need the distraction. We need the reprieve of Christmas. For many of us, Christmas is a time where we gather together with loved ones and friends or people that we uh, appreciate, and that could be loved ones or friends. It's complex, isn't it? Um, And we gather together and we spend time together and we enjoy sharing of gifts and sharing of food and time together. But there's also a reason why we deeply love this season is it averts our eyes from the mess of everything else. Because for many of us, we hear the message of buy, 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 and everything will be okay, but we look at what's going on in the world, and we know that buying just one more thing is not going to fix what's wrong. And so Christmas comes as a distraction for us from all of those things. Climate issues, natural disasters, economic challenges, corruption and trust in governments at all particular levels, it seems, and war after war after war and conflicts. If you're anything like most of us, you're constantly asking the question, how do I even pray when daily it seems more and more difficult to know how to pray for the things that are going on? in the world. And once you hint towards asking that question, once you hint towards saying, I don't even know what to do about what's going on, you're beginning to be ready for Advent. The prophet Isaiah in our text from today, and let me just say this, I deeply apologize to you. I am the proofreader for the journal, and I managed to insert a spelling mistake into week one of the journal on page 14. So your journal asks you to go to the deeply exciting holy, holy text in Isaiah 6 when you're supposed to go to Isaiah 64. So you can make that annotation. All other mistakes from here on out, you're on your own with. Okay, (laughs) Isaiah 64 is is the Old Testament text for this week of Advent. And I wonder how many of you will will relate to it. Isaiah is speaking to a particular moment in the history of God's people's lives, a moment of threat, of exile, and of devastation. And the text is this. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. I wonder how many of us would feel like a resonance with this text at a deep, organic level. When you hear Isaiah say those words, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, like you feel that prayer. I don't know about you, when I read that text for today, I was like, that's how I'm feeling when I look at the world right now. Like we need something from God and it needs to be major. We need God to come near. 
It's the only solution that we can imagine, and that's the Advent confession. We need God to do something because we have come to realize that all of the things that we try and do, not only do they not seem to fix it, they seem to often make it worse. And so God, would you tear the heavens and come down? But notice, we say that the Advent confession is we need God, but Isaiah points us towards something that I think is really important. We need a very particular God. Not a God that we made up ourselves, not a God, just any old God that we found on the shelf, but we need a particular God who will do the unexpected. A God who will do what nobody has seen done before. And instantly, probably as you phrase it like that, you start to think of Christmas. You start to say, oh, that's why this is an Advent text, because we know the end of this story. The God who comes to us in a manger, this is not what anybody has seen or expected before. So we resonate with the prayer. We understand the need for a very particular God. This very particular situation needs a very particular God. But also, notice this final line from Isaiah. We also need to be a very particular type of people, a people who will wait. How can we be a people who wait when the world appears to be going to hell before our very eyes? And this is where our New Testament text for the day comes in. And this is where we, one sense, we're in this, this moment with Isaiah as God, like we need you to intervene. And then Paul, in opening his letters to the Corinthians in chapter one and verse nine, he says this to the Corinthians, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is why we can wait. This is why we can be the particular type of people who can wait. Not because of our skill set, not because of our abilities, and most definitely not because we can be trusted to wait. Rather, we can be that particular type of people because God is faithful. And this idea is at the very core of Christianity and actually at the core of our ability to be an Advent people. There's these two seemingly related but opposing ideas. The first statement is our identity as Christ's people is not built on our faithfulness or our righteousness or our goodness. Rather, it's based on God's faithfulness. In fact, as I know deeply and intimately about myself, if anything was based on my faithfulness, righteousness, or goodness, we'd probably be in a big mess. I definitely would be, and maybe others would be too. But the Christian hope has always been built not on who we are, but who he is. That God is the faithful one. So the Advent waiting that we talk about becomes a question of trust. If we are to be a people who do wait for God, then we need God to be trustworthy. You can't wait if you don't think he is. Think about this, go back to one of those scenarios when you were young perhaps and you were out with one of your parents and they told you to wait there. Or maybe, maybe in Scotland that was something we did and in Canada you always kept your kids nearby, I'm not sure, but, but you'd be told to wait there while your mom went to a different spot in the store or into a different particular place and you would be told to wait and whether or not you waited as a child was probably based on a couple of features. The first feature would be whether you thought you could make it to the candy aisle before your parent got back, okay? So it was kind of rooted in your own lack of trustworthiness. But more often or not, the reason that you did wait was because you believed your parent was coming back. And the only point that you broke from your waiting was when you started to doubt whether they were or not, and you decided, time for me to go and find them. 
My point is simply this, you cannot wait for God if you don't think God's trustworthy. So the Advent question asks us, can we wait and do we think God is worth waiting for? The great German theologian Karl Barth said, what other time or season can or will the church ever have but that of Advent? Because Christians are an Advent people. Our faith is a faith of waiting. We trust God, we hold on for God, and we wait for God to ask. Because we, we wait in the confidence that God will come to meet us, that he will grow us, that he will save us, and that ultimately Jesus will come again and put all things right. And the reason then that we tell the story of Advent, we're caught in this big circle where every year we come back and we tell the story of Advent again. And the reason that we do that is because in the previous 365 days as we cycled our way around, we basically learned that we are not very good at waiting. <laughs> and in 365 days, we learned that we are not very good at fixing things on our own. In fact, most years, 365 days simply teach us we've made it worse. There is a bigger mess. Think back over the past few years how often things happened and you thought like, oh my goodness, how can we get worse than this? And it was as if the world was like, hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> because it just seems that we keep making things worse. We keep telling this story of Advent year after year after year because we must remain trusting that only God's radical invention, intervention will help us. And so we come to Advent, which begins, as Fleming Rutledge brilliantly says, in the dark. And it's important that we remember why Advent begins in the dark is because it's teaching us to trust. It's teaching us to wait. It's teaching us that we have a God who speaks into the darkness. This is the story of Genesis 1, that God spoke into darkness. This is the story of Christmas, that God's light came into the world in the midst of our darkness. This is why we light Advent candles at Advent. Each week, the darkness will be pushed a little bit further back as the light starts to build its way around the candle holders. It kind of reminds me of, of, these, of these alarm clocks that you can get nowadays. For whatever reason, my Amazon algorithm thinks I need to buy one of these alarm clocks, where what happens is hours before you apparently need to wake up, the alarm clock starts to gently provide light in your room and slowly brightens the room so when the alarm goes off, it's at daylight. I haven't tried these alarm clocks. If you have thoughts on them, please speak to me about them because Amazon really wants me to buy one. And, but this is kind of what these, these candles are doing is we begin in the dark, but then slowly, slowly but surely, we light them. And this morning, the spark begins with the hope candle because without hope, how could we wait at all? So hope is where it begins. And this one light bursts into flame and starts to push back the darkness. Because in the midst of the darkness, Christians hope for something better. We look at the mess of the world and we hope for something better. By the time we get to Christmas, they'll all be lit. All four of the candles and the Christ candle in the middle, we'll all gather together on Christmas Eve and we'll all hold our own candle. At this journey from darkness, in four weeks' time, we'll all be here and everybody will be holding a light because this is the story of Advent and Christmas. But there's perhaps a question. is between the darkness and the light of Jesus' return, what do we do as we wait? And that's where today's gospel reading that Tanache read for us this morning comes in. 
On one side, the text for this, this week of Advent is God tear the heavens and come down. And we resonate with that prayer. And on the other side, you have Paul saying, God is faithful, which is actually harder to resonate with because it doesn't always look like that. Sometimes it looks like God has forgotten about us. And we as God's people are always stuck between God that you would come down and we need to keep trusting that you are faithful. How do we do that? What do we do? And Jesus speaks to us today about that in his gospel text. Jesus is speaking to a moment of, of coming devastation and chaos. And his word to the disciples is, what do you do when it all looks out of control? And he says, you wait and you watch. Which doesn't sound like good advice. It didn't sound like good advice then and it doesn't sound like good advice now. Jesus is, Jesus is talking about the coming destruction of the temple and the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem. And, and that happens some, a few years after Jesus uh, has, has gone back to be with the Father. The, the, this huge devastation hits this, this city called Jerusalem. But Jesus, at another level, was also talking about what it's like to be a Christian. And I think the word that we need to hold from complex texts like this today is, is essentially what Jesus is saying to them is this. Things are going to happen, disciples, and it's going to look bad, it's going to look terrifying, and it's going to look scary, and you're going to come to the conclusion that the end is near because your basic algorithm is bad things lead to the end. And Jesus' word to his disciples is that's not how it works. The story that we are part of, the story of God, is not a story that ends with things being bad. This is a story of hope. Well, this is a story of salvation that we are in. The stories that the Christians tell to the world are of a God who loves us and is restoring. So the one thing Christians know categorically is that the end is not the end. That when things are terrible, that means that God is yet to do what God is going to do. And that's true of us today. You're going to see events happen in the world, and you're going to want to say the end is near. And Christians across history have taken up that message and said the end is near. And their logic for saying the end is near is based on what they're seeing, the devastation and the apparent winning of evil. But the biblical message is evil won't win. So when you see the apparent winning of evil, know that this does not mean we're all about to lose, but rather keep trusting, keep watching, and keep waiting on God. Perhaps that's why this year, these Advent texts almost should make more sense to us than in some other years. It's common at Christmas time and Advent time to talk about something that's going on in the world. But this year, because, and let me just say the thing that many of us would be thinking about, because some of the conflict and devastation of the world is happening around Israel, Christians get a little bit too excited about some of that and start to try and do their own versions of math as to what this means. But let Jesus' words keep speaking to us. Watch, wait, keep trusting God, and remember, look what Jesus says here, not even the Son knows the timing of things. So let's hold off from being the type of people that think that we can predict the timing of things when Jesus' message is, even he's not doing that. Rather, his word to the disciples is, you are not called to be the prophets of destruction or the solution yourself. Jesus says this, it's what I say to you, he says, is what I say to all. Keep awake. Watch and wait. 
And, and I know that waiting's not a good message. It's not the message of the self-help gurus of the world. Prestige is given to our world to those who are the maker of things happening, the go-getters, the DIYs, the fix-it folks. But there's a message in this text today that reminds us that all of the things that we can work and do will always be temporary. Just before he says this, remember what Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And so much of what we do as Christians when we start to panic and stop trusting on Jesus and stop watching and waiting is we start trying to make things happen that are only temporary, rather than trusting in the Jesus who is speaking to us. The words of Christ are what really matters. So tell us what to do is what we say. And the gospel says, who knows? <laughs> the gospel says, I'm not gonna give you a quick fix. I'm not even gonna tell you when it's happening. Right? All, that, all that Jesus is saying is when you think you've learned enough to say, yes, it's happening now, just be really careful with saying that. And go back to watching and keeping awake. And this is hard for pastors because pastors have, have got themselves into a loop of often thinking that we have to have all the answers to these things. So, and, and, and sometimes what happens is churches think that pastors have to have all the answers for all of these things. Your pastor, <laughs> no matter who your pastor is, your pastor does not have an answer to the Israel situation. And they don't have an answer to the Ukraine situation unless the answer is keep watch, wait, and keep trusting Jesus. Don't doze off into coming up with our own answers. Don't fall asleep and stop being alert into thinking that we know the solution. The solution is as it always has been. God is faithful and we should trust him. Henri Nouwen says that waiting is a period of learning. The longer we wait, the more we hear about him for whom we are waiting. So what do we do? We stay alert and we keep watch by praying. Whether it's together or alone or around the table, God has always shaped the hearts of Christians when we turn our hearts to him, when we talk to him, when we pray to him. And Advent calls us to be a praying people. This moment of history calls us to be a praying people. And maybe, you're, maybe you wanted a better answer from that. You're like, that is not what I paid for this morning. I wanted a better answer than we become a praying people. But try this as an experiment. If you're not convinced by what I'm saying, go home today, find the medium that you choose to consume news on, the internet, your TV, whatever it is that you use. If you're like, you know, you're like a little more authentic, the newspaper, I don't know where you buy them, but they do exist. And just start consuming as much news as you can and see how long it takes your heart to say, oh God, that you would tear the heavens and come down. And I wanna tell you, it won't be as long as you think. And something will start to happen in your heart where you realize, I don't know what to do about any of this, much less some of it. And Advent comes to us at this point and says, watch and wait and trust and pray. Because it's what the church does. We're a praying people. Christian life isn't about avoiding disappointment, but receiving the gift of the gospel, that God is with us and wants to talk to us. For me personally, one of the things I love about prayer is it allows me to be less of a control freak. But it's also our work. It is the work of us as the church. Brothers and sisters, Jesus calls us to prayer. Now, I get it. It seems pointless, useless, and feeble. 
And anybody who has ever prayed will tell you, yes, that's how prayer often feels. But remember, this is Advent. We're all gonna gather in four weeks' time and celebrate the king born in a manger who will look largely pointless, useless, and feeble. But when we feel that pressure to act, when we feel that pressure to do things on God's behalf, what if we let God reform how we act by being a people of prayer? There's something stunning on Thursday night as we gathered in this hall with people from across our community and prayed for one another's healing. Because like, well, what difference is that gonna make? In one sense, it seems like it will make no difference at all. People in a room talking to the sky. But in another sense, Christians have always, always confessed that this is where we meet God in all his faithfulness. And let me say it like this. Prayer is pointless and is useless unless God is faithful. And if God is faithful and God is trustworthy, then prayer will be the best work that we, the church, can do. Prayer's not sitting back and ignoring what's going on. Prayer's not unplugging from the predicament of humanity. Prayer is an act of hope. When Christians pray, what we're saying is God isn't finished with us yet. God still has work to do, and we are going to trust him and have confidence in him that he will act. Advent, this month the church steps into, is encouraging us to keep trusting in that God. Rutledge says it beautifully like this. God will come, and his justice will prevail, and he will destroy evil and pain in all its forms once and forever. To be a Christian is to live every day of our lives in solidarity with those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, but to live in the unshakable hope of those who expect the dawn. So here's where I want to land the first Sunday of our new year, in prayer. Over the course of this year, we will sing, we will worship, we will read scripture together, we'll listen to teaching, engage with teaching, we'll meet at the table. But I want to invite us to begin this Christian year with prayer, to remind ourselves, to shape our hearts that God is faithful and we will trust him. So I invite you to stand. And Christine's gonna lead us in a litany of prayer. There's moments where, as you're now used to, there'll be an invitation for you to bring your voice. And let me just say this about this. When we bring our voice to a moment of prayer, it's not just to give us something to say, it's to say yes to all that has been said before. And so we make the words that Christine prays our prayer as a community for the church. Thank you, Christine. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we await your coming. We wait filled with hope, knowing your light will shine in the darkness. We wait, longing for your peace, praying that one day it will fill our world. We wait in need of your love for ourselves and for our neighbors. We wait in anticipation of joy because your coming makes all things new. Lord, we wait. Come soon and fill us with your life. Lord, in your mercy. We find you, Lord Jesus, in the unlikeliest of places, sleeping in a stable and missing from an empty tomb. Come where we least expect you and where we need you most. Come among us and make us whole. 
come into our troubles and weaknesses, into the barren places of our souls. Come among the displaced and the refugee, among those whose homes have been destroyed by war. Come to the homeless and the unemployed, to those who feel abandoned and left behind. Come alongside the sick and the suffering with anyone whose body or mind causes them pain. Come to the poor and the starving, to those who are abused or oppressed. Come into the lives of our loved ones and to those from whom we are estranged. We hold before you now in silence those whose needs weigh heavy on our hearts. Come into our joys and celebrations, into our work and our achievements, into the rhythm of our day-to-day -day lives. Come where we least expect you and where we need you most. Come among us and make us whole. Lord, in your mercy. O Christ, we long for your coming. Hasten the day when those who seek you in every nation will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit at one table in your kingdom. Hasten the day when your kingdom will come in all its glory, when suffering and pain and sickness and oppression and death will be overcome forever. Hasten the day when we will be resurrected as one multicultural family to live together in peace, joy, and love. Let us say this together. Give us ears to hear, O oh God, and eyes to keep watch, that we may know your presence in our midst during this holy season of joy as we await the coming of Jesus Christ, through whom we offer all our prayers. Amen. Amen.